Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Part 6 of The Children's Book of Christmas by J.C. Dyer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 6. After the Christmas Dinner. When dinner had had time to settle and all the kitchen work was done, Father took his seat at the end of the long table with all the household gathered about, the servants included, and the baby without fail, and read the story of the child, and it came to pass in those days, while mother hushed the baby. Then we sang together, A Child is Born in Bethlehem, which was the simplest of our hymns, and also the one we children loved best, for it told of how in heaven we were to walk to church on sky-blue carpets star-bedecked, which was a great comfort. Children love beautiful things, and we had few of them. The great and precious treasure in our house was the rag carpet in the spare room, which we were allowed to enter only on festive occasions such as Christmas. It had an orange streak in it, which I can see to this day. Whenever I come across one that even remotely suggests it, it gives me yet a kind of solemn feeling. We had no piano, that was a luxury in those days, and father was not a singer but he led on bravely with his tremulous bass, and we all joined in, Annie, the cook, and Maria, the housemaid, furtively wiping their eyes with their aprons, for they were good and pious folk, and this was their Christmas service. So we sang the ten verses to end with their refrain, Alleluia, Alleluia, that always seemed to me to open the very gates of Yule. And it did, literally, for when the last alleluia died away, the door of the spare room was flung wide, and there stood the Christmas tree, all shining lights, and the baby was borne in, wide-eyed, to be the first, as was proper, for was not this the child's holiday? Unconsciously we all gave way to those who were nearest him, who had most recently come from his presence, and were therefore in closest touch with the spirit of the holiday. So when we joined hands and danced around the tree, father held the baby, and we laughed and were happy as the little one crowed his joy and stretched the tiny arms toward the light. Hang up the baby stocking. Hang up the baby stocking, be sure you don't forget. The dear little dimple darling, she ne'er saw Christmas yet. But I've told her all about it, and she opened her big blue eyes, and I'm sure she understood it. She looked so funny and wise. Dear, what a tiny stocking. It doesn't take much to hold such little pink toes as babies away from the frost and cold. But then, for the baby's Christmas, it will never do at all. 
Why, Santa wouldn't be looking for anything half so small. I know what we'll do for the baby. I've thought of the very best plan. I'll borrow a stocking of Grandma, the longest that ever I can. And you'll hang it by mine, dear mother, right here in the corner, so, and write a letter to Santa and fasten it on the toe. Write, this is the baby stocking that hangs in the corner here. You never have seen her, Santa, for she only came this year. But she's just the blessedest baby, and now before you go, just cram her stocking with goodies from top clean down to the toe. A German Christmas In Germany, a little girl begins to think about Christmas almost as soon as she gets back from a summer's holiday, for it is still very much the custom there to make something yourself for those you love best, and German girls learn, while they are still little, to embroider beautifully all kinds of articles for household use, a monogram on a fine handkerchief, or spray of flowers on a bit of linen to wear at the neck. An older girl makes such things as a canvas traveler's case or a set of shoe bags, embroiders a sofa cushion, or nicks a silk necktie. Mothers and aunts are more likely to make soberly useful gifts of stockings, underclothing, dresses. Nothing is thought out of place. But everyone must give to everyone else. That is law. And everyone aims to keep as a secret what she is making. It must be hidden at least from the one for whom it is intended. So there is quite an air of, I know something nice, but I cannot tell it about a German household through all the weeks before the holiday. About a fortnight before Christmas, the fair begins, which Mrs. Sedwick tells us is to be seen in any one of the old German cities in the hill country, when the streets and the open places are covered with crisp, clean snow, and the mountains are white with it, and the moon shines on the ancient houses, and the tinkle of sledge bells reaches you when you escape from the din of the market and look down at the bustle of it from some silent place, a high window, perhaps, or the high empty steps leading into the cathedral. The air is cold and still, and heavy with the scent of the Christmas trees brought from the forest for the pleasure of the children. Day by day you see the rows of them growing thinner, and if you go to the market on Christmas Eve itself, you will find only a few trees left out in the cold. The market is empty, the peasants are harnessing their horses or their oxen, the women are packing up their unsold goods. In every home in the city, one of the trees that scented the open air about a week ago is shining now with lights and little gilded nuts and apples and is helping to make that Christmas smell, all compact of the pine forest, wax candles, cakes, and painted toys you must associate so long as you live with Christmas in Germany. We have Christmas trees in plenty, but to the German mind, we have them all wrong. In the first place, their trees are small, and every one, from the emperor down to the poorest laborer, has a tree. But he has it at home, on Christmas Eve if he can, less often on Christmas Day, and only sometimes on the day after, which they call the second Christmas Day. A German family never invites a party to its Christmas tree, only relatives or intimate friends. 
as a rule there is one tree fixed on a small stand in the center of a large square table covered with snow-white cloth and around the tree the presents are arranged those for each person in a separate pile the tree is lighted for beauty and is decorated with ornaments of glass and tinsel sweetmeats apples gilded nuts and a few very small toys some of the sweetmeats made for german trees are very elaborate there are kringeln transparent sugar candies twisted in figure eights or circles so that they easily hang on there are sugar candy animals of every shape and color and here and there a fascinating scene in colored sugar on a white background a sportsman in a red coat perhaps pointing his gun at an enormous rabbit that sits up almost touching the end of the gun barrel the celebrated lubicaromazapan a kind of almond paste which you have tasted maybe on bride cake imitates all kinds of fruit and vegetables so well that they can easily be mistaken for real the trees are set in the front room and the curtains are drawn up to give any passers-by a glimpse of their beauty the family gathers in the room behind sometimes a carol or hymn is sung and at its end suddenly the parlor doors fly back showing the little green tree all alight and the piles of presents for everyone then comes a scramble and search for one's own pile a long silence while parcels are opened breathlessly such a handshaking and embracing and thanking as follows in some families where there are several children and plenty of money each person may have a tree of his own and at any rate will have his own table covered with presents and things to eat of such a family the mother writes every time the three babies go into the garden they expect to meet the christ child with his arms full of gifts they firmly believe that it is thus their presents are brought and it is such a charming idea that christmas would be worth celebrating for its sake alone the library is uninhabitable for several days before and after as it is there that we have the trees and presents all down one side are the trees and the other three sides are lined with tables a separate one for each person in the house when trees are lighted and stand in their radiance shining down on the happy faces i forget all the trouble it has been and the number of times i have had to run up and down stairs and the various aches in head and feet and enjoy myself as much as anybody first the june baby is ushered in then the others and ourselves according to age then the servants then come the head inspector and his family and other inspectors from the different farms the mamzelles the bookkeepers and secretaries and then all the children troops and troops of them the big ones leading the little ones by the hand and carrying the babies in their arms and the mothers peeping round the door as many as can get in stand in front of the trees and sing two or three carols then they are given their presents and go off triumphantly making room for the next batch my three babies sung lustily too whether they happened to know what was being sung or not when they came to say good-night they were all very pale and subdued the april baby had an exhausted-looking japanese doll with her which she said she was taking to bed 
not because she liked him but she was so sorry for him he seemed so very tired they kissed me absently and went away only the april baby glancing at the trees as she passed and making them a courtesy Goodbye, trees i heard her say and then she made the japanese doll bow to them which he did in a very languid and blasé fashion you'll never see such trees again she told him giving him a vindictive shake for you'll be broken long before next time she went out but came back as though she had forgotten something thank the christkind so much mummy won't you for all the lovely things he brought us i suppose you're writing to him now isn't you crowded out nobody ain't christmas shoppin for his stockin nobody ain't cotch no turkey nobody ain't baked no pie nobody's laid nothin by santa claus don't cut no figure for his mammy's little nigger same like everybody's rushin and er crushin shop crowdin shops and jammin trolleys buyin shoes and shirts and toys for the white folks girls and boys but no hobby horse ain't rockin for his little wore out stockin he ain't quarrelin recollect he don't spect nothin it's his not expectin makes his mammy wish o laws for er nigger santy claus totin just her toy balloon for his mammy's little coon an english adoration art in the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries was far more closely connected with the church than it is today the most beautiful buildings were those of the church and the art of painting was soon called upon for their decoration books at that time were rare and costly and the stories of the saints whose holy days were times of festivity for the people were mostly handed down by word of mouth and often with a good deal of confusion of times and people and naturally when the rich men of thirteen hundred called in a workman to decorate a church or to paint a panel which could be moved from one building to another they liked to see on their walls pictures of their favorite saints and heroes pictures which reminded them of the stories they could not read it made no difference to them if saint and hero and king lived hundreds of years apart there is one such picture one of the oldest in england so old that no one knows who painted it which is interesting because it is easy to see that the king who ordered it painted was thinking of the old christmas story of the adoration of the magi who were always thought of in the middle ages as being kings the picture is painted on two wooden panels joined with hinges so that it can be closed and is in bright colors against a background of gold the english king who probably ordered it to celebrate his coronation was richard the second of england son of the famous black prince one likes to think that although he thought of himself as one of a long line of kings ruling by divine right whom it was natural to see surrounded by persons royal and divine yet he wished to be painted not in the act of receiving but of giving homage after all in spite of the king's crown and the robe of state too big for a child's figure he was only a boy barely eleven and whatever he became later here he is shown offering his kingdom to the holy child in his mother's arms there was a special reason for richard's having his picture resemble pictures of the adoration of the magi for the day of the kings january sixth 
was not only his own birthday, but also the day upon which he was crowned. And an account of his coronation tells us that after the ceremony, he made an offering at the shrine of Our Lady at Pew, nearby, of eleven angels, one for each year of his young life. Exactly what these eleven angels were, no one now knows. They may have been gold coins with an angel stamped upon them, or they may have been small images. But perhaps he remembered his eleven years and this offering when he told the painter to surround Mother Mary with the eleven angels in sapphire blue whom you see in the picture. One sees, at least, that they are his angels, for each wears his special badge, the jewel of the white heart, and the collar of broom pods. Almost all the Magi pictures represent one of the kings as kneeling, with the two others standing behind him, and one can imagine Richard boyishly choosing the other two kings. He was crowned in Westminster Abbey, so it is natural enough that one of them should be Edward the Confessor, who founded the Abbey. The other, holding an arrow, is St. Edmund, an early king of England, who is said to have been shot to death with arrows by the Danes because he refused to abandon Christianity. Joseph, too, is a customary figure in paintings of the Adoration, but cannot you hear the boy king saying, No, I do not want St. Joseph. My father died in midsummer, so I really became king about the time of St. John's Day, if I am crowned at Epiphany. So I will have St. John with a lamb and Edward the confessor, and Edward shall hold a ring. There is a pretty story that St. John the Evangelist, wandering in the disguise of a beggar, asked alms of King Edward the confessor, and that the king, rather than refuse a poor man, gave him a ring from his finger, because he had no money with him. And it would be so like a boy not to care that the two St. John's were not at all the same. That which mattered is that one of the angels was holding toward the holy child's reaching hands the banner of England as the gift of the kneeling boy. THE CHILDREN'S OWN SAINT What a most convenient thing it is that good St. Nicholas does not have to keep the Christmas holiday in all the world at once. He has been the children's own saint, you know, ever since he ceased to be a bishop in faraway Asia Minor. The oldest story we hear of him is that once three little boys on their way to school at Athens stopped overnight at an inn, of which the innkeeper was also a butcher and a robber besides. This wicked man killed the boys in the night and threw their bodies into his salting tub. But the very next morning the saint walked in and asked for them, for though he was only Bishop Nicholas then, he knew all about it in some wonderful way. The trembling butcher took him out to the pork barrel. The saint struck the edge of it sharply with his staff and called the boys by name. Out jumped the three little pickles all alive, and of course the wicked butcher was punished and Nicholas became the schoolboy saint. There is also a story that one night Bishop Nicholas wished to carry a purse of gold to a worthy nobleman who was so proud and so unwilling to have his poverty noticed that it was a difficult matter to make the gift without hurting his feelings. 
when the house was reached the old noble was to be seen through the window fast asleep by the fire and without disturbing him good st nicholas climbed to the top of the wide chimney and dropped the purse intending it to fall on the hearth but as the old man's daughter had hung her father's stocking by the fire to dry it chanced to fall into one of them there it was found the next day and most opportunely provided a marriage portion for the oldest daughter the story goes on to say that after that whenever one of the noble's daughters was of marrying age he hung up a stocking and st nicholas gift was never lacking they say that all this happened early in december and in some countries december sixth is the great day for the children in holland on st nicholas eve december five the children go out with their parents to see the brilliantly decorated shops and in the doorways of many of them stands the saint gorgeously dressed and handing to every child who passes a tiny toy or a sweet no wonder the good saint must needs go to the seashore for a day before his next heavy job of being santa claus to all america on the twenty fifth to say nothing of merry england at any rate we find that in a certain seaport of southern italy it is the sailor's custom on december sixth to take the image of the saint from the beautiful church of st nicholas and with a long procession of boats carry it far out to sea toward nightfall they return and in the glory of the gold and crimson sunset are met on landing by all the townspeople hundreds of quaintly dressed pilgrims from the country round join the crowd that welcomes the homecoming saint with song bonfires and torches and brings him back to his own place his next appearance is in those countries where the greek church is the national religion their days of st nicholas which is december six elsewhere comes upon what we would call december nineteen and the saint is supposed to bring the winter with him on the frozen river by peter's city it is celebrated with a skating and sleighing carnival lines of tracks are laid down on the ice like small-sized streetcar lines tiny cars run here and there along them back and forth from the smooth ice fields roped off for sleigh races or skating contests perhaps it was in that cold country he found the high cap the furs and the coat he wears for his hard work of chimney scrambling and running the reindeer express on the christmas eve we know once more after his strenuous american holiday week is over the hard-worked saint appears again from the little whitewashed villages of greece north to ice-bound archangel and east even to vladivostok the saint swings wearily on thousands of wax-lighted christmas trees their christmas eve comes you must remember thirteen days after ours but he is a sadly wasted saint by this time a mere waxen image a few inches long able only to dance a little at the tip of a branch of a christmas tree and that is all he is asked to do but in some houses you would find him with a queer cotton tassel in the top of his cap and what happens then is this some boy or girl comes by touches his cotton tassel into flame from a lighted taper and he burns and melts and grows shorter as if he were just an ordinary wax candle until he is all gone 
but in spite of that in the next december when the little children in holland begged their mothers to take them out to see the lighted shops there he is again with his bag of sweets and if you want to know what happens to him after that you will only have to read this story over again the Bafana fair in rome in rome the season of making gifts corresponding to our christmas comes twelve days later and the gift-bringer would not be called santa claus or saint nicholas but Bafana, a gruff little old woman perhaps she is in some way connected with the old woman of whom the legend is told that she was sweeping out her house when the three kings rode by with gifts for the infant christ come they said and see the bambine jesu she said she would when she had finished her sweeping but though she took her gifts and started she was too late then of course so she gave the presents to good children and bits of charcoal to those who had been naughty the name is really a short form of epiphania the feast of epiphany and it is given both to the gift-bringer and to one of the most extraordinary popular festivals ever invented to amuse children and to turn grown people into children it is a night fair opened every eve of epiphany in the great square called piazza novana where long long ago one of the roman emperors domitian once had his race-course in the days just after christmas workmen began to bring out from queer underground storerooms all the lumber and other material needed for setting up booths and decorating the square for the bafana from year to year it lies somewhere ready for use at a moment's notice and when needed it is suddenly produced without confusion marked and numbered all ready to be put together and regilded or repainted or hung with acres of bright-coloured draperies the romans are masters of the art of managing public displays and change the empty windy square as if by magic suddenly into a great oval street of booths enclosing the whole circus-shaped space at dark on the eve of the epiphany the bifana begins the hundreds of booths are choked with toys and gleam with thousands of little lights in the open spaces the moving crowd of children parents and grandparents grows closer and closer between sunset and midnight and every one is splitting the air with some sort of whistle horn or trumpet noise is the chief need of a successful bafana and the first thing every one buys who comes must be a tin horn or one of the grotesque little figures made of painted clay always with a whistle in some part of it their very ugliness is attractive and they are daubed with a kind of bright and harmless paint of which every roman child remembers the taste so long as he lives round and round the crowd moves in a stream of young old and middle-aged all blowing horns and whistles with a ridiculously solemn persistency bent on making all the noise it is possible to get out of one small toy now and then they stop to buy at some booth or to greet a friend one group attacks another with a specially strong burst of noise almost too much to stand when shrill whistles are brought close to ears and there are shouts of laughter when the party which can make the most hideous noise drives off the other half deaf from the din 
in one long-remembered year in the old english protestant church about a mile away the organ was rebuilt and the organist a practical anglo-saxon had the useless old pipes sold at the night fair for the benefit of the church the braying of the high cracked reeds was frightful and never to be forgotten thousands upon thousands of people thronged the square even under the clear winter sky it is not cold the flaring smoking wind-blown torches throw strange shadows down upon the old women who behind the booth sit warming their skinny hands over earthen pots of glowing coals they look on without a smile on their wrinkled faces while their sons and daughters sell little old women of clay the very images of their mothers to passing customers and there is no confusion no accident no trouble there are no drunken men and no pickpockets but romans are not like other people end of part six If you want a huge selection of audio drama, some of the newest ones out there as they come out, then do find Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network, which is the new home of the Sonic Society, the world's longest-running, largest showcase of modern audio drama. You can find us on the Sunday Showcase feed, or if you want to hear all of the day's worth of audio, then you can find it on the main Mutual Audio Network feed, wherever you get your podcasts. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.